0: Welcome to the Strategy and Leadership Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Anthony Taylor. Thank you so much for joining us today. Strategy and Leadership Podcast, we interview senior leaders from around the world and get their best practices on how to create strategy, how to engage your staff, and how to move plans forward. And today, I'm joined by a very special guest in Vivian Smith, who is the Executive Director for the Langley Memorial Hospital Foundation and I just can't say enough about Vivian. This conversation was so amazing. If you're in the nonprofit space, if you're on a board, you definitely do not want to miss this podcast. Take notes, listen attentively. It was such a great conversation and so valuable for anybody who does any board work, any nonprofit work. Vivian has such a wealth of experience and I think this is one of my favorite podcasts that I've done so far. So I won't even say any more about that. Listen attentively Uh, without further ado, Vivian Smith. Vivian, how are you today?
1: I'm great. Thank you so much, Anthony. How are you?
0: Oh, I'm doing phenomenally today. Another beautiful day in Vancouver, and uh, I'm really excited for our conversation. Me as well. Beautiful. So why don't you tell uh, folks listening at home a little bit about you and your background, both as your current position as an executive director and your background in the nonprofit and board management sector.
1: So I have been very privileged over the past 30 years to be a member of the not-for-profit sector and have been so rewarded by the work I've done. I have held jobs as Director of Development, that is Chief Fundraising Officer for Hospital Foundation. I spent about 17 years as a consultant with my own company serving a wide range of organizations, everything from small grassroots organizations supporting sex trade workers to major universities in British Columbia, and just recently joined the team at the Langley Memorial Hospital Foundation as their executive director. One of the principles that I've held very dear through all that work is that we... As professionals in the field, need to understand how our donors and volunteers feel. So not only have I been a donor to a variety of organizations, I've also ensured that I spend time as a volunteer. I would say the bulk of my volunteer work now is as a member of a board of directors. So for example, I presently sit on the board of directors for the Langley Chamber of Commerce, and I also sit on an international board, the Association of Fundraising Professionals. And through AFP, the Association of Fundraising Professionals, I've also had an opportunity to take some training for facilitation and workshops. So spend a lot of time as a volunteer with Vantage Point here in Vancouver supporting boards as they look at how they can develop and strengthen in order to support their organizations.
0: But there's a lot of stuff I'm sure we could talk about, probably go on for hours, but I will uh, do my best to stay on track. So I definitely want to ask you, you know, about board management and, you know, setting up your board for success. But one of the things that you mentioned was, you know, you spend a lot of time, I'm sure a lot of time in meetings, but a lot of time with donors and volunteers and seeing how they feel. So, you know, we've got a lot of people Leading. We have a lot of leaders out there. So can you speak a little bit about specifically on the volunteers front and elaborate a little bit more on, on knowing how they feel? I, th- I found that really interesting.
1: One of the attributes I've tried to hone over the years is a measure of empathy. So when I'm working with uh, boards, either as a consultant doing some training or as an executive director now reporting to a board, I need to ensure that I understand that through their eyes, what it is they want to see as an outcome. So I want to be volunteer-centered. This is not about me. It might be about my organization, but the first lens I want to put on is what they need as volunteers. Now, I have one individual who sits on my board of directors as an example, for whom public recognition is highly, highly important. And if I fail to meet that need, that volunteer begins to slip in her engagement I conversely have another board member who is embarrassed by public recognition and actually has asked me to ensure that his name does not appear on any donor lists because he likes that anonymity and he's embarrassed by it. So again, if I slip on that, he becomes less engaged because I haven't met what his needs are. I think as a fundraiser, I know that that's one of the principles with fundraising is to be donor-centered. And I see our volunteers, they donate time. So they are very much the same principle in terms of keeping them engaged, is very much understanding what it is that they need, not what I need out of the relationship.
0: That's fascinating. and I think that's really neat that you are be looking at meeting their needs as a as a primary objective. So not just understanding how they feel, but understanding on an individual level, meeting what their needs are. And then personally, I never thought of, you know, looking at your volunteers as donors themselves. And, you know, that's, we could argue that that's the biggest thing that they could actually provide. And money makes the world go around and, and moves the initiatives forward. You know, we have a lot of people that if they can't provide money or can and choose not to, they, they just provide their time. And a lot of the nonprofit organizations that we see, you know, that's the biggest amount of resources they have is the volunteers that, that work with them. So I, I really appreciate that approach.
1: We are sometimes referred to as the voluntary sector. And volunteers is an element of our sector that makes us different than the private and public sectors. So that is a key element of how we operate as not-for-profits, as charities, as members of the voluntary sector. So we need to honor and treasure those people just like we do our financial donors.
0: Okay, so moving that voluntary sector and taking that into consideration, let's look at it from the board management angle. So obviously, you know, there are some board positions that are paid and some board positions that are volunteers. Do you have a set process that you've developed over your career, you know, for quote-unquote board management?
1: Absolutely, Anthony. I think as an executive director, as the person who is responsible for managing the board, it is my duty to ensure that it is done well, because if it's not, I have no right to complain. So there are three steps in my mind. The first is recruitment, how we recruit. The second is orientation, and we often forget about a good, strong orientation. Some organizations call it onboarding. And then the third piece that I think is also equally critically important is evaluation allowing board members an opportunity to evaluate their own progress as a board member and also to evaluate the board as a whole. So I look at that three-step process, recruitment, orientation, and evaluation right throughout the year.
0: And it sounds like instead of it just being a one-time process forward to back, it sounds it looks like a cycle to me
1: it is absolutely a cycle it is an ongoing cycle so one of the first things i did when i arrived here is establish a governance committee we call it a governance committee other organizations might call it a board development committee but their responsibility is not to become active 3 weeks before the annual general meeting but in fact to work through that cycle right throughout the year so we have our agm and we start up again with our governance committee in terms of orienting the brand new board members. We move into evaluation. Our AGM is now six months away, but we are already in recruitment mode.
0: I mean, maybe you can just give us like a high level overview of each step. What I got from what you just said there was that you don't need to wait till your AGM to onboard your people so that you may hit the ground running when they come into the board. And I think that speaks to you having a setup process, but maybe you want to speak to a little bit about the recruiting, the onboarding and the evaluation phase. And then maybe I can ask you some questions from there.
1: Because it is a cycle, there actually isn't a starting point, but it makes some sense to start with recruitment. However, the recruitment is an outcome of the evaluation. So what are the gaps? What are we missing? What are our challenges? So that sets a discussion between myself and the person who chairs the governance committee. We sort of create a matrix that begins to identify what strengths we do have on the board. What are some of the diversity things we're looking for in terms of how people think? We look for strategic thinkers and tactical thinkers. We look for different professional skills. We look for different age groups. We look for different gender. We look for different uh, ethnic backgrounds so that our community is truly represented around that table. We bring our governance committee together and we begin to have some conversations About the big picture for our organization. Where are we going? So, not only what is missing on the board, but where are we going and what new things might we consider that we need to bring to the board table? Who has been volunteering with us for the past year? Who might be ready to step into a board role? We have that conversation and then we begin a series of interviews. And I just want to stress that, Anthony. This is not a time when we go to talk to these potential board members and say, please, please, please sit on our board. What we do is we Really, interview them. Have you thought about sitting on the board? What kind of experience have you had sitting on a board? Do you understand what board work is? Do you understand the difference between governance and management? So, we collect a lot of information. We allow them to ask us questions so that they understand the roles and responsibilities of being a board member. There are no surprises, and that includes a very honest and respectful conversation about philanthropic giving from our board members. So as a charity, we ask our board members to role model financial giving, and they know that well before they are even asked to consider sitting on the board. Those conversations will go on until we have a slate. Uh, We will then take that to the AGM. Actually, one of the other steps that we have just incorporated, which worked very well last year, was to actually ask the candidates to join a board meeting prior to the AGM to see how we work understand the big issues in front of us. We are very careful. Of course, there may be some confidential information that we're not able to discuss at the board meeting while they're there, but we do want them to get a sense of what's ahead of us, what the challenges are, who else is on the board, what are our top priorities, how does the staff interface with the board, etc. Based on that, we can then ready ourselves for presenting a slate at the AGM. The new directors are elected, and then we go into an orientation process I have found that in order to help in the recruitment process, we will often give them the board manual in advance so they can read through last year's financial statements, last month's minutes, that kind of idea, our history, our strategic plans. So again, they are fully informed. But through our orientation, we bring in the board chair, the CEO of the hospital, and myself, and we have a conversation with these new board members and walk through the board manual with them and then start to give them some additional information. It doesn't need to be long or arduous, but it certainly is a a robust block of time where we have them in a room so that we can really get them ready to go so that they then, to your point, can hit the ground running and really help us move our mission forward. As we come into sort of this time of year, probably February, we will go through an evaluation and we have a survey that we do with our board members and we ask them to rank themselves as to how they feel they've performed. So, for example, you know, how many meetings did you attend or how many meetings did you miss? Did you come to board meetings well-prepared? Did you speak up and ask questions when they were needed, etc.? We also ask them then to evaluate the board as a whole. Is it meeting its goals? Are meetings run well, etc.? And we use that evaluation then to, A, help us with recruitment, and B, help us with orientation uh, for new board members in the following year. And then the third piece that we're starting to use it for is any kind of professional development. As an example, some of our board are brilliant when it comes to reading financial statements. That's their background. Others are not as strong. So we have an opportunity to have an accountant come in and just walk us through how, as a board member, they should read a financial statement and what they're looking for, what they should be looking for, and what kind of questions they should be asking me, and whether or not there are any red flags on those financial statements that allows them to complete their fiduciary duties. So as you can see, we're constantly in that cycle. It's not linear at all. And we ensure that we move through that process at all times.
0: I got that. And it sounds like... I mean, obviously being well experienced in this, in the domain that you, you know, you approach it with a long term and from a strategic perspective, you look at it as a high view and, and being able to see all of the individual components, putting that together, which speaks to your process. But some of the things that I got from this, and I'll do my best to summarize, some of our listeners might have to replay this a couple of times to get all the gold nuggets that you shared, but setting up the government's committee before the AGM to prepare everyone doing a gap analysis or taking just a really good look at a skills matrix, a people matrix and looking at the big picture of the board, you know, where do you want to go? And, you know, what are the, gap, where are the gaps that are going to need you to get there, um, you know, which I think applies to all organizations for profit, not for profit, where can we add volunteers, so incorporating a succession plan within your board. And instead of, you know, begging people to add to your board, really presenting them an opportunity to join your board and making sure that there's a fit Speaking of that fit, you know, we have understanding the roles and responsibilities, so maybe they can try before they buy and and go to a a board meeting to see what's going on, but also ensuring that there's a values and culture fit, so making sure that they are role models and and demonstrating the behaviors and the the culture that you want to have inside your board, then going through a process with the chair, the executive director giving them a board manual so i'm sure that there're some boards out there who could do with having a board manual explaining the history explaining the strategic plan so getting everybody up to speed and then allowing them to rank their own performance as well as the performance in the board to develop your professional development which speaks to your skills and people gap and then really looking at filling the gaps and Top grading your people so that you're continually developing both internally and the future people coming in. Would you say that that's a pretty good summary?
1: Wow, I think that's brilliant. You've done a great job. I think you could almost teach this now. That's great. Very nicely done.
0: Well, thank you very much. Well, I'm going to keep these notes for myself because there's definitely a lot to learn. So maybe I can ask you a different perspective. So we have you as an executive director guiding this process. What have you seen as a board member? And maybe we'll call it some things to avoid or or risks that you've seen as a board member where you say, oh, you know, here's some of the common foibles or mistakes that people made that, you know, you sort of look at and say, oh, you know what, this needs to be addressed because it's really holding the board uh, back. Have you seen any of that in your career?
1: A couple come to mind. I am constantly dismayed when I attend board meetings and I hear questions of two types. Number one, questions that make it very clear that the board member has not even cracked open the board package, has no idea what the financial statements say, have not read through policy in preparation for voting on policy are not prepared with good, thoughtful questions of the executive director or perhaps there's a committee chair who's making a presentation in order to advance the organizational mission. They certainly are turning up, which is a good first step. But I'm not sure that they understand that actually being a board member is a serious responsibility. And one of the first steps is to read your board package as an executive director. I know how much time it takes to put them together and they're put together for a very specific reason. I'm not sure if they're aware of the risk that they actually undertake by not being prepared and not asking those very insightful questions, which brings me to my second concern, is when I hear questions that are completely operational in nature. I just had a board meeting last night as an example, we got talking about a strategy for a major fundraising initiative we're about to undertake, and one of the directors asked us something specific around what type of materials would be used in the package that would be left with the donor. And I was stunned because that's my job. It's not a governance issue. The worst part of all is that the board chair allowed that to continue, and we got into this whole conversation about what should be left with a donor. Those are not board questions. Those are operational questions. Certainly, board members as volunteers and members of our community have great insights. So conversation in my office is one thing, but to take time at a board meeting to move to that tactical level is very discouraging to an executive director who's looking for leadership and strategy from board members. I think those would be my two biggest concerns.
0: Uninformed questions and operational questions are what you should not ask in a board meeting please come prepared. If you're a board member, please take the time and and respect the work that people have done to prepare those board packages and and make sure that those conversations don't need to be had in those meetings. Absolutely. One of the quotes that I like is proper preparation prevents poor performance.
1: Oh, I love that one. I'm going to take it.
0: (laughs) Please do. In my experience, like facilitating these meetings and working with nonprofits and for-profit businesses, people get so stuck into the operations. They really want to get the how and at a board, I mean, I would say with the exception of a new nonprofit or a working board, when when those decisions are important, and, and they do need to be discussed. But you know, if you're at a major foundation or any, you know, established nonprofit, the board's responsibility is really to provide that strategy and leadership and less around the tactics, because you have people to, to implement them.
1: Absolutely. Anthony, you hit on a really important word when you were trying to summarize my big, long speech about those three stages in that cycle. And one was about helping potential board members understand the culture of the board. And you are absolutely right. That's an important piece and it's a nuance. It's hard to measure, but you're right. There are some boards by virtue of the size of their and type of organization to which they are providing leadership need to be hands-on working boards for whatever reason. There's all kinds of very good, solid reasons. And that's a, that's a cultural fit. So that's one of the values of having somebody come to that board meeting before they decide that, yes, I'll let my name stand for election, is understanding. So I personally would struggle on a working board because it's not my skill set. not my interest. So I would want to know that in advance, not be faced with this board after I've been recruited to it that's working in a style that I don't like. So understanding the culture of how that board works. Is it a working board, a governance board? Uh, What role does the chair play? That is a whole nother long conversation is about the role of the chair. But to really understand the culture that drives that board forward and being a part of ensuring that as a board member, not only do you do your due diligence, your fiduciary duty, your duty of loyalty, etc. But you also play a role in strengthening and improving the culture of that board.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And setting those clear expectations on the outset really helps everybody. Narrowing scope. For us, as we look at strategy development, there's two things that I find make the biggest difference to the success of any organization. You could call it a group. So when I say, you know, a group of people, a team, a company, a board is having a clear vision. So people knowing where they're going and having that clear and explicit and then having the behaviors that serve as a glue to achieve that vision and strategy and the famous quote that culture will eat strategy for breakfast. But I think both are so important to move forward effectively because you can show up to a meeting and you can have a plan, but it's if it's not moving forward, if you're not achieving your action items, if you're not accomplishing something, then I think it gets frustrating. And I'm sure you've run into demoralized board members or demoralized volunteers when what they were expecting or what they signed up for just isn't moving forward like like they wanted. Absolutely right. And I guess that speaks to your original point around meeting their needs. And if their needs aren't met at that fundamental level, then they're not going to continue. And that in itself, having to recruit new board members, bring in new blood, just takes a lot of time and energy, yeah? Absolutely right. Do you have some best practices or any words of wisdom that you would share in addition to your process with somebody who's coming in in an executive director role or, you know, really for anybody who's responsible for leading people and, and driving strategy forward, what would you tell them as things that you've taken from your career and, and best practices in your, in your current role?
1: As the executive director of a fundraising organization, I actually don't spend a lot of time purely fundraising. A great deal of my time is in, I'll call it human resources. And one of the biggest buckets I have is managing the board. And I don't mean that in a condescending manner, but ensuring that I am thoughtful, that I am listening, that I am empathetic, and that My ultimate goal is to ensure that each and every director on my board is successful. And if I can make them successful, they will make our organization successful. And that's my job. So I take that role around uh, caring for my board very, very seriously. And I spend a lot of time with it. I think as a board member. So if I switch hats now and become a board member, become a volunteer, I take it equally seriously because I work on the other side probably, but I understand that what I lend to an organization will be reflected in that organization's success. So if it means uh, turning off the television and reading my board package so that I am prepared, then that is what I'm going to do. I don't say yes to boards unless I've given it a lot of thought. So I respect those people who I want to recruit to my board who say to me, not this year. I'm not in a good place. That actually serves my organization better. And I think when we recruit, we need to give people the opportunity to say, no, not this year or perhaps not ever. I know a lot of executive directors who see our boards as a bit of an irritant because it's just a function you have to do, and yet they are such a valuable resource to our organizations. And I would encourage my executive directors who might be listening to consider the value that sits around that table each time you meet.
0: You can look at a board as a function, as as something that is a must-have or that is necessary, or you can look at it as something that really enables your success. And helps you move forward and I think for all leaders, you know what I'm going to take away from this conversation is the empathy and not empathy as like an overused buzzword because it, it's definitely around that, but you know helping people be successful and I think that's the definition of being a leader, listening and being thoughtful and giving people opportunities within what you're providing for them absolutely and then the last part, thank God is you know you, you really get what you give.
1: And helping board members understand that as well. Helping them understand that they they will be a leader as well. And that working together, you can all be leaders sitting around the table. And allowing them to lead and allowing them to shine, I think, is a really important piece.
0: Well, I think that's what the world needs most right now. It's leaders leading leaders. I mean, that's what we're here for, right? Absolutely. Thank you so much, Vivian. It's been such a pleasure. Where can people uh, get a hold of you if they'd like to connect or just yeah start a conversation with you?
1: I would love to have a conversation. You can reach me at Vivian.Smith at FraserHealth.ca. Thank you for the opportunity, Anthony.
0: So I've been chatting with Vivian Smith, who is the Executive Director for the Langley Memorial Hospital Foundation. Thanks so much for joining us today, and we look forward to sharing with you next time. Thank you so much for joining us on today's episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to rate us five stars on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. And if there's somebody in your network that you think might enjoy today's podcast, be sure to share it with them as well. If you're in the process of creating your strategic plan and looking for some guidance, some more information, and some training on how to create an effective strategic plan with your team, be sure to check out our course available at smestrategy.net slash course. And it's a walkthrough of each individual step in the strategic planning process, as well as downloads and best practices to help you meet your goals and move your team towards the same place. Once again, my name is Anthony Taylor. This has been the Strategy and Leadership Podcast, and I look forward to sharing with you next time.